0: The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as as what it really was, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. And this is God's Word. Good to be with you and to worship with you. Go to God's Word together. As we have seen in the first Thessalonians series... We've really seen a, what we could call an obsession of Paul with this one major theme, and that is to please God. Uh, He looks at the Christians that he's writing to. He rejoices to see their desire to please God. He reminds his listeners that this is the greatest aim in life, to please God with our lives. And he even defends his own ministry as people accuse him of having motives of seeking his own glory, greed, financial gain, uh, flattery from others. And he defends himself by saying, my only goal in life has been to please God and it frees Paul up from having to, um, to give in to those temptations. And Paul sets himself up as an example to the other Christians, for this is, how, this is what it looks like to, to please God and, and not to please man. And as he points out for them, and he points out for us as well, for anybody who desires to live a life pleasing to God, the essential element in our life, lives that fans the flame of a zealous desire to please God with our lives, he touches on in this passage and I want you to think about that. Not many of us would, would say, if I said, hey, do you want to please God with your life? Not many would say, well, no, not really. I mean, of course, all of us would say, yeah, that, that's my goal. I, I want to please God with my life. I want to live in such a way that, that um, brings him uh, pleasure. Um, and yet, uh, there's disagreements on how to do that. How do we apply God's word to our life? And this is all that we do. I mean, when we come Sunday, we open up the scriptures and we want to discern what does God say And how do we bring our lives uh, in conformity to it? And how do we please him? And Paul touches on this essential element of how we do that. In verse 13, the answer is found there. He says, you received the word of God, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And so the way to please God is by receiving his word and conforming our lives to it. This is the tension that many Christians find themselves in today, and and, and there's so much disagreement on this. What does God's word really say, and how do we obey it faithfully? How do we live according to it? The Bible doesn't exist just for information only. It's not just a book of morality or stories uh, or ethics. Of course, it has moral teachings and ethical teachings and stories in there, but it's not just so that we can learn information, but that we would be transformed by it. So we come to God's word and we say, God, who are you and how do I live my life in accordance to it? Sometimes we take teachings and we try to fit in biblical teachings into our lives and apply it to different situations, but rather what it calls us to do is discern how our whole life ought to come under God's teaching of his his word. And so this passage for us today is really, can be seen as like the skill of applying God's word to our lives today. How do we apply the teachings of Jesus to our life today? I want to define just what the Word of God is, as Paul talks about here, and then just talk about how do we conform our lives to it. So a really easy path forward, a really straightforward path. didn't even have three points. So the Word of God, what is it and how do we conform our lives to it? Um, The Word of God is this, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Uh, The Word of God is the Word of God. Do you get that? Do you get the deep philosophical apologetic of Paul here? I mean, probably the greatest theologian who has ever lived. And here he is giving a defense and apologetic for what the word of God is. And what he says is, it's the word of God. If you're, this seems so simple, not very complicated, but what does that really mean? Because he repeats himself. He says, you accepted the word of God, not as the word of men, but as the word of God as the word of God, as it really is. What Paul has in mind here when he says the word of God and foremost in his mind is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the message of, of salvation by grace through faith and the perfect sacrifice, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But also what Paul has in mind is the apostolic tradition about Jesus being formed at the time Paul saw himself as one and called out by Jesus specifically as an apostle who was called out by Jesus and, and called to proclaim God's word. To, to advance the gospel through teaching of who Jesus was and what he came to do. The last words of Jesus Christ on earth recorded in the gospel of Matthew was Jesus telling his disciples to take all that he had said and to take it into the world. To make disciples, to baptize, to teach others. And so to follow Jesus faithfully then is to take what Jesus has said and to extend those teachings into all of our life. To extend it through space and time and context and culture and society and to bring our whole life under its authority. We're to hear Jesus' word, we're to submit our lives to it, and we're to apply it to our circumstances today. And by doing so, we please God. Paul was confident that his words that were given to these churches as he's penning these letters was the words of the living and true God. Because of his unique calling as an apostle, chosen by Jesus, he was convinced of that. But also as the evidence of change that he saw in the life of the Christians there. So he says, I know this is the word of God because Jesus has called me to be his apostle to proclaim this word to you. But I also know it's the word of God that you have received because the power of God is changing you. And the words that you receive from me are are resulting in in a life that God desires for each and every one of you. He's confident of that. Notice the word that that Paul says. He says, the word of God is, is working In your life it's working in them work this word is is energeo it's the word that we get energy it's 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 movement and action and and even think of this like cosmic power of God to bring about all that he intends to accomplish in his people it's the creative work of God to bring about new creation in the life of his people it's it's spiritual work And that's what Paul's saying. He says, I know that the word of God has been received by you because it is bringing about the purposes that God has for you. And only God can do that. God rules through his word. He rules through his word. When Paul teaches in this passage that God does his work through his word, he's reflecting on the story of salvation itself. Really the story of God and the story of all of history. In the beginning, remember when the earth was formless and void God spoke a work of a word of command into the void and into the chaos and he spoke the word of command let there be light And you know the rest of the story right and there was light he spoke a command and by the word of his power all things were created this is something that God can do that we can do it's powerful his words are different than our words through God's word, he brought order out of chaos and something out of nothing and, and brought light into darkness. And God spoke also a word to Adam and Eve so that they could enjoy his creation. He put mankind in creation so that they can enjoy all that God had made in relationship with him, and relationship with others. There was peace and there was goodness. There was joy. And they... They didn't believe the word of promise that he had given to them. God spoke this word and they decided to, rather than please God by obeying his word, they decided to do what was pleasing in their own eyes. The Bible even tells us this, that as Eve looked upon the fruit that they, that they were commanded not to touch or eat, she said that it was pleasing for food. It was pleasing for taste. She looked at it and said, I know that God has called me to please him by obeying his command, but I want, to, I want to please myself by enjoying this. And when she ate of this and, and decided to believe the lie of the devil, all chaos and sin broke into the world. So instead of doing what, pleasing, what was pleasing to God, she did what was pleasing to herself. But God continued to spoke, speak words of promise and rescue. To his people, God spoke a word of promise to Abraham, the promise to restore his rule over all of creation and to create a new hum- humanity and to bring a new people to himself who would belong to him and a people who he would love forever. And this gospel word drives the entire story of the Bible. The Word promises ultimate freedom. It promises rescue from a life cursed and alienated by God. God's people, though, continued to rebel from His Word. They continued to do what was pleasing in their own sight instead of what was pleasing to God. And so, what happens next through many millennia is that the Word of God then becomes flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. The Word of promise, the Word of peace, the Word of rescue. The word of comfort, the word of restoration, freedom, and, and fullness of joy became flesh and dwelt among us. And even at Christmas time, often we'll, we'll talk of the titles of Jesus at the incarnation. And we hear that the, the, the prophet is uh, telling us that the, the incarnate God, the word of God would come and he'd be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. The fullness of God, the word of promise and rescue becomes flesh And dwelt dwelt among us. His name is Jesus, and he is the fullness of God. The presence of God with us, proclaiming salvation to sinners, peace to the broken, healing for the sick, and his loving rule over all of creation. But the word of God didn't only become a word of rescue. The word of God became a word of condemnation. As the innocent, perfect word of God was nailed to the cross, condemned on the cross, so that all who would look to him would find pardon of their sin. And all who would forsake this word would remain under the wrath of God and his judgment forever. Here's the word that Jesus tells to us in John chapter 5. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. The word of God is nothing less than the power of God for salvation. The word of God is not just how non-Christians are saved. It is how Christians grow throughout their lives into all that God desires for them to become. The word of God is power. Uh, you reminded last week, I think Peter mentioned I was at my high school reunion in the Midwest this last week had a great time. He said it was my 30 year high school reunion, but it was my twenty um, I mean what good is, is having the pastor leave if you just can 't make digs at him right and so it was my 20 year high school reunion and leading up to this, I was really excited about it, connecting with some old friends that i haven 't seen in, in two decades and I was reading through the old yearbook and i 'm flipping to the back and where everybody writes notes and well wishes and and, and, and shares memories and things like that. And I remember reading it, and you know, my, what people said in my yearbook wasn't any different than what they said in yours, right? Which was uh, good luck um, and never change, right? Never change, you know. And so these are well wishes. They say kind words. We had a great time together. You're a great friend. I hope the best for you. Uh, never change. Stay the same. And at best, these are well wishes. These words are kind, comforting. Uh, encouraging. They remind me of, of times that were a really great, uh, fun time. They remind me of friendships that I had that I really enjoy, but, enjoyed, but they have no power in them. These words are, are powerless. The words themselves or even my, my deep and abiding faith in these words have no power to change me. Uh, the presence of these people and power of the people who wrote these words do not accompany me in my life every day. They aren't able to establish a life of prosperity, peace, comfort, Or the fact that I would never change. These words themselves are not capable of fulfilling what they hope that they will. They can say you're a great guy, never change and good luck. But they have no power to accomplish those things. But this is what makes the word of God and the reading of his scripture and the preaching of his words such an exclusively and unique and necessary thing. When the word of God is, is properly proclaimed, we could be sure that God himself is speaking to us. Not based on the character of the one preaching and not based on the integrity of the ones listening to it, but that God is actively speaking and that his word comes with power. When God speaks promise to us and we hear his words and we receive them as true and we have faith in, their, in God's ability to fulfill those promises. The Spirit of God comes into our heart, and it works. It works in us to accomplish all that God has promised. It, the Spirit of God actively brings about God's plans for our lives when the Word of God is proclaimed, when it's read, when it's received and accepted and trusted in. Not as I speak to you as a person to a person, but as God creator to his creation. God's word produces fruit in those who trust in it. It produces change and forgiveness of sins and transformation, courage, peace, confidence, wisdom, ultimately the salvation of our souls and the fullness of God's joy for all who find their rest in God's word. Paul emphasizes here that that Christians are not made through more, more... mere behavioral change Christians aren't made uh, through transformed minds or how they think how are Christians made what makes a person a Christian what causes a person as Jesus says to transfer from darkness to light from death to life it's when someone hears the word of God and accepts it it's when someone reads the word of God and hears it and brings their life into conformity with it It is like the promise, the word of promise that was brought to Abraham who said, I will make of you a great nation. And of this nation, uh, your offspring will bless the world and be a blessing. And from this nation, this one person I will raise up who will be my servant, who will bring my people back into a relationship with me and reconcile peace and the fullness of my joy. I will rescue them from their sins and their bondage to sin and death itself. And Abraham had no child. And he was well advanced in his age. And his wife uh, was well uh, beyond childbearing years. And what did Abraham say? He said, I believe you. And God credited this to him as righteousness. And because we are justified by faith, not by works. Not by our character, not by our integrity, not by our record. We are righteous because of faith in what God has spoken to us. And hope against hope, Abraham believed something that was so unrealistic. We are made Christian not because we are good. We are made Christian by hearing the word of God and believing it. Other religions and even other Christians, uh, leaders often speak of spiritual experiences that strengthen and might affect the life of a Christian. It affects our emotion, our behavior. It even affects our will and how we live life experience to get us motivated to move in a direction of faithfulness to God, but not all spiritual experiences are genuine. The only authentic experience of the work of God in our lives is an experience in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. A true experience of the work of God will lead to obedience of God's word, a love for God and our neighbor, an expression or engagement in God's mission, and an expression of praise and worship to God. Maybe you've wondered, God, what are you leading me into? And how do I know that it's you that spoke to me and not something else? How do I know if you're speaking to me? Sure way to know if our experience with God or through spiritual experience is a true and genuine experience of the work of God in us is if it is an experience that flows out of the gospel of Jesus Christ, leading us to obey God's commands, to obey a love for God and others, engagement in mission and worship and praise. Use this criteria as you listen to Christian podcasts, as you read Christian books, or even as you listen to a sermon preached here by myself or anyone else. Use this as a test. Is, am I being called to a faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm reminded of LeVar Burton, of course, uh, naturally. Uh, you know, with Reading Rainbow, right? Here is this book, and here is what it says, and here is what's in it. But don't take my word for it. No? no? No 80s kids or 90s? So, yeah, okay, we got a few. But don't take my word for it. That's what he says. I proclaim the good news to you, but don't take my word for it. Test the experience, test the expression, test the communication, the preaching of what you read and listen to and what friends express to you. Use this as a criteria. Are they advocating? Is the message that is being proclaimed advocating for your life to come more and more under the loving and good rule of Jesus Christ? Or is the message one that is advocating a greater expression of your greatness, your well-being, your self-comfort, your entitlement in the world? Is it an experience that is calling you to to live a life where you are better or great, or is it one where we become less and God becomes great in our life? See, we won't experience an adrenaline rush every time we come to God's word. And this ought not to be our criteria that we use to, to ask ourselves, is it effective and is it good and is it helping and should I come to this for advice? Uh, and every sermon you hear is not going to cause an adrenaline rush. I mean, I know there's so many times. You come to the Bible, you read it, and you're saying, that didn't do anything for me, and then you close it and you go on to other things. But when we study and hear God's Word, we should pray that the Spirit of God will not only inform our heads, but also inspire our hearts to know and please God with our lives. We should come to His Word and saying. If you don't help me understand, I will not understand. And don't just let me hear stories and learn of history, but change my heart. Inspire my heart to know you, to love you. A simple prayer that I pray, it's not academic, it's it's something a five-year-old could pray. God, let me know who you are and let me trust in you. And if that goal is accomplished in that time in his word, then, then it's a miracle. God is working through His Holy Spirit, through the power of His Word to bring about the change in your heart as you come willing to hear from Him and willing to bring your life into conformity with what He says. And one of the meetings of a guest to a guest family to our church, and I love these times. I love meeting new people in the church. I love when new people come and hearing of their spiritual journey and going into their home and, and meeting them and their family and hearing about how they found holy cross it 's one of my best, greatest joys as a pastor and I really love to see uh, what God does and when this particular time, I go into the home into the living room and they 're gracious to invite me over and to have a little snack and a, and a drink um, and and they just said, right out of the gate, the husband said, this is a, this is a faithful church. God is working here. God is here. And, and, and so much so that we really want to come and we want to plant uh, our, our roots here. And we want to lay down um, life here and um, grow our family. And we're really excited about that. And of course, this blesses me. And what else does a pastor want to hear than something like that? Blessed me and encouraged me. I love those kinds of meetings. Uh, But since I also love to make people feel really uncomfortable, um, I I ask this question as they're saying these things and saying all these nice things about Holy Cross and myself. I just go, how can you be so sure? (laughs) How can you be so sure about this? You're saying a lot of nice things. How do you know? And here I am just kind of like challenging him and, and kind of saying, I disagree. I disagree with you on this. How do you know that this is a faithful place how do you know that God is working and just the confidence in his in his in his posture he just said I can just feel it I can just feel it in my gut God is doing good things and I'm thinking how could how do you know that's not the donuts I mean we have good donuts on Sunday morning right? that inspires a lot of goodwill and work and love towards God and others when we do something like that it brings up a good question How do we measure faithfulness as a church? How do we know as individuals or even as a church or as a family, as as co-workers, as neighbors, as disciples of Jesus, that we are being faithful? We conform our ministry and motivation and convictions uh, and expressions of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the word of God. We take liberties for sure as a church and uh, wherever we are permitted, but never to the degree that it extends beyond what God's word has, has called us to. How do we know that God is working? And how do we measure faithfulness as a church? Is it in like, I just feel the love of God here. How do you know? You will know that it's the love of God. You'll know it's the faithfulness of God if it's an expression that's rooted and in a response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not long after these conversations that I had with them, the man stopped feeling it and they they stopped coming. You see, so feelings can change. God's word doesn't change. And verse 13 implies that if we know, if we want to know God better, we must know his word better. In short, God's word enables us, uh, enables his people to know him intimately and, and therefore to do what is pleasing to God. If we want to know God, if we want to please him, which all of us, no doubt, we want to please God Whatever capacity we understand what that means, we want to live a life that's pleasing to him. And Paul is rejoicing because he's saying, I know that that is happening because the word of God came. You received it. You trust in it and you are conforming your life to it. And that is the only way to please God. We should marvel at how little we interact with God's word when we really know what it is. Considering what God's word really is, remember the deep Profound, philosophical, and apologetic defense. What is the word of God? It's the word of God. Knowing what that is, that it is God speaking to us. We don't read it as a a yearbook from well-wishing friends. We don't read it as a history book or a teaching on morality and ethics. It is God speaking to us, living and active to bring about, through the power of the Holy Spirit, all of his purposes for us. We should marvel at how little we interact with it. The creator of the universe, with the fullness of his power and all the resources at his disposal, has given you the key to live the life that he calls you to live. And we approach his word like it's a textbook at best. It is, we should marvel at how little we approach it. How little, how, with little, such little passion and prayer and how, much, how little trembling we come to this word. For many, the only time we interact with the word of God is in 35 minutes on a Sunday morning each week and sometimes not even every week. If there's a skeptic here, if there's a new, new Christians or maybe if there's seasoned Christians that have spanned over decades of faithfulness, the word of God is the only instrument that God will use to bring about his purposes for your life. If you desire for God to bring about his purposes and plans for your life, and neglect to come under his word with your whole life. You will forfeit your ability to please God and to live as he has called you to live. Of course, he uses friends, he uses pastors, he uses life group leaders and sermons and podcasts and and good books and experiences, but all to the, the degree that these things proclaim his true word and invite us to live our lives in conformity to it and so Paul thanks God that he's working in them and evidence that God is working in their lives is they are come there they received the word that was preached to them and they're conforming their life to it a word not as a word of man or woman but a word from God and this exposes a common struggle. And here is the common struggle that it exposes. Sometimes we treat the word of God like the word of man, and sometimes we treat the word of man like the word of God. I'll explain. The word of man is what? It's, it's limited in wisdom. It could be good and good advice and things like that, but it's limited in its wisdom and truth. It's filled with sin-stained emotion and perspective. We don't always see things as God sees things. It's good advice at best. It's advice, though, that lacks ultimate clarity and wisdom and it shifts with changing times the the wisdom of man and the word of man and woman changes as culture and society changes we know this through history what culture has thought to be right at one time has changed to be wrong in the next and when it was wrong now it's right and then there's times where there's no right and no wrong it just is so so the word of man changes constantly but the word of god It's true, it's just, it's without blemish or error. It's not tied to any particular society, culture, context, or neighborhood. It's timeless, it's unfading, it is the most relevant thing that you and I will read at any given moment on any given day. And in light of those comparisons, which word do you have confidence in living living in conformity to? A word that is constantly changing and 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 partial and, uh, and, and fragmented and blemished or a word that's pure and never changing and constant and good? Well, of course, the word of God. Of course, we would say, well, of course, I want the word of God. But does that match your practice? Does it match your practice? You see, so sometimes we take the word of man and we say, this is the advice I'm going to live for. This is the wisdom that will guide my life. And we take the word of God and we say, I'd like a second opinion. I'm not so sure. I can't really understand it. I'm kind of confused by it. How does he know what I'm experiencing today that was so long ago? You know, when you're troubled and you're depressed and you're confused and suffering, when you're looking for guidance in life and how to live, whose word do you crave more? Do you crave the word of men and women in your life, friends and uh, books, podcasts, talk shows, newscasts? I mean, who are you listening to to guide your life? Whose opinion matters the most? Whose perspective matters most? When we're skeptical of God's word, but accepting of man's word, we not only displease God, but we abandon any ability to grow in a deeper relationship with Jesus. It's devastating. It's detrimental to our faith. And so the key to enjoying God's continual work in our lives is the continual rediscovery of God's word and its application to all of life. It is to have this posture and experience and and exercise of coming to God's word and saying, what do you say? And what word of promise and, and command do you give to me? And how can I bring my life in conformity to it? It means we listen constantly We listen intently to God's word in order to have a growing relationship with God. The word of God spoken to us, summed up in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is our only hope for forgiveness of sins and a growing relationship with God and all he desires for us. And you know what that means then? To neglect his word is to forfeit any hope of rescue from God's judgment. And that's the turn that Paul takes. This is kind of, that's the the painful reality where Paul takes up to this point. Paul is saying some really wonderful and encouraging things really in this whole letter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 to 2 verse 13 is really encouraging stuff. Paul is saying, you guys are awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. I see God working in your life. And then he takes this, this really hard, sharp turn to talk about the wrath of God for those who reject God's word and rather turn turn to receive the word of man. That's the point of this passage at the end. He shifts his attention to the wrath of God on those who reject the gospel, who ultimately killed Jesus and who are hindering the advancement of the gospel in this time. You know, we don't talk a lot about God's wrath. We certainly don't we're not a church that yells about it and, and lays it on heavy for you. But when it shows up in a passage, we strongly desire to be faithful to communicate what it means. Early last week, I was talking again with another, another stranger uh, and talking about faith and Christianity. And she, she reveals that she grew up in a in a church experience that was that was uh, a lot of hell a lot of wrath a lot of uh, hell and damnation fire and brimstone a lot of yelling from the pulpit a lot of judgment God hates you and 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 you need to um, repent or you'll burn in hell and she said I just needed I needed a break and so I got out and it's been years she's been unchurched for years and hasn't been in church for a long time and I replied to her I said well you're always welcome at our church and I promise if you come I'll 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 give you good words from God. And then I go into my office and review the passage I'm preaching today, and I'm like, gosh, that figures. You know. <laughs> but I don't see her here today, so <laughs> it's okay. Jesus was clear in Scripture. To reject the Word of God is to reject God the Father and to forfeit any hope of forgiveness of sins. And at the time, the Jews were hostile to the Word of God They were hostile to the message of Christ and the good news of what he came to do. They crucified Jesus and they killed him. And then they tried to thwart the advancement of the gospel for any who taught of the good news of Jesus. When anyone was preaching about Jesus, they would imprison them, threaten them of their own life. They were responsible for the killing of of countless Christians at the time. They they tried to stop the advance at any cost of of God's truth, which had the power to redeem all people, both Jew and Gentile. And Paul is reminding us that to reject the gospel of Jesus is to reject God and to fall under condemnation of God and to incur the wrath of His punishment for sins. We're reminding what Paul says and elsewhere in Scripture that The teaching on sin is that that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have failed to please God. Who who pleases God? No one pleases God. We all have the wrath of God for punishment of our sin hanging over us. But let's not forget who's writing these words to us. It's Paul, the the former Pharisee, the former chief prosecutor and persecutor of the church. He did all the horrible things that he speaks of here that warranted God's wrath. He opposed God's plan. He was responsible for the death of countless Christians. He put all of his energy and all of his life, in his adult life, into thwarting God's plan as it was revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What happened? What happened was he met the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ. He came face to face with the good news. He came face to face with the word of God. And he sees face to face that the wrath of God, which was on Paul because of his inability to please God in his own character and integrity and record, the wrath of God now falls on Jesus. As he sees Jesus, the the incarnate word of God, the promised peace and wonderful counselor, mighty God and everlasting father, we we see him nailed to the cross. And we see God turn his face from Jesus as he poured out his wrath and Jesus cries out the night before he dies. He says, take this cup from me. If, any, if there's any other way, would you take this wrath from me because I, am, I tremble at the thought of taking the punishment for their sin. But he goes through with it for us. Paul has a face-to-face encounter with the grace of God and Jesus Christ, and he sees the wrath of God being spared for Paul and going to Jesus. Judgment was on Christ and it passed from Paul. And now Paul sees his own suffering in life not as punishment from God, not as a a sign of God's wrath on Paul, but rather he sees his own suffering in this life as God's redemptive purpose for him, to bring about all of his plans that he has for him. The suffering that we encounter in life is, 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 in Christ is not a sign of God's punishment and wrath. Rather, it's a sign of God's provision, love to accomplish all that he has purposed for us. And that's what he rejoices in when he looks at the Thessalonians. He says, I thank God for you. That not only did you receive this word, but you are imitating other Christians who are receiving the word. But not only that, you're willing to suffer for it. You're willing to bring your life into conformity, even if it means that others will suffer oppose you, marginalize you, make fun of you, in their case, kill you, imprison you, oppress you. Paul thanked God for these Christians for how they imitated other Christians in nearby cities. And it shows for us that all true true churches which belong to God and live in Christ are to display certain similarities with one another in spite of cultural time and space differences. You see, our desire as a church is not to do something fresh and new and, and, and fun and exciting. In many ways, our goal in, in our church is to do something old. The similarities that tie all true churches together is one goal, to be faithful to the Word of God. To know the Word of God and to, to bring our lives in conformity to it. All true churches are defined by one similarity, a desire to be faithful to the word of God and even defending it and suffering for it if we need to. See, Scripture is the means by which we're formed. It's the means by which we're transformed. It's the power of God for salvation. We should ask questions like how do... How do we have our politics formed by God's word? How do we have our family formed by his word? Our free time, our romantic relationships, our work, our work environment, our, our own body image, our, our diets and appetites, the way we view people who are very different from us. We utilize the Bible not just simply as scripture and memory, scripture memory and repetition and learning story, stories, but by conforming our imaginations, our hopes, our dreams, our aspirations, our habits to the good news of God's rescue for us in Jesus Christ. See, we never get beyond the good news of the gospel. We never get beyond this word. But rather, the gospel grows in us. I want you to think of it like a, like a cornfield. I've been in the Midwest all weekend. so Like a cornfield, like a big tree. That the gospel is planted and it grows and it is meant to, like a crop, it is meant to to grow and to dominate more and more real estate until it takes over the entire place. Our goal is that the word of God would take root in our hearts and that it would grow and more and more of our life would be dominated by God's promise and his word of comfort, hope, forgiveness, If we desire to live faithfully in our time, we must continually expand the influence of God's word in our life. No longer should we see it as just a a ticket into heaven. The Bible is not just the answer for how to be saved and to avoid hell. It is the power for salvation and growth in new life into all that God purposes for us. God's word doesn't explain the minimum required to be a Christian, but it explains the way we progress every day in God's grace. Where are you now? Take a look at God's word. It is God speaking to you. You do not need to be a a scholar. You do not need to be uh, someone who knows all the history of the Bible. You come to God's word and say, God, speak to me. Be alive in my heart. Show me who you are. Show me who I am in my sin and how deceptive my heart is. And let me trust in you Give me the strength to believe. Give me the faith to understand who you are and what it means to follow you. And he will do it. He will do it and you will grow and you will please him with your life and you will come into the fullness of joy. And from one degree to the next, he'll hold you in his grace. And your struggle and suffering in this life will never be a sign of his displeasure with you, but always of his plans of redemption for all that he has for you.